I knew that I needed to provide a structure to her. So for me to provide structure to her, I needed to get structure for myself. Um, And so that was a huge part of it. And I'm really passionate about that when I help other, you know, children in my work is that making sure does mom and dad have ADHD and like, what do we do to help them help the child? Um, because that's huge because we can tell the parents, you know, do this, do that. Like if they have ADHD too, that's going to be a hurdle. They need the same help. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review from Melba3457 on the Apple Podcast platform in the UK. It's entitled Honest and Authentic Discussions About ADHD. I have listened to many of your podcasts and I relate so much to the experiences of you and of so many of your guests. I have laughed out loud on many occasions. There are heavy moments and light and funny ones, but they are all discussed with honesty and authenticity. I love that. It is so refreshing and rare in this world. Thank you so much for sharing these stories with us. Thank you for that lovely review, Melba. So well said. I think this diagnosis definitely has its heavy moments and yet lots of light and funny ones too. And I'm so grateful to the many women who've opened up in these interviews and have been vulnerable and shared their stories. It is so healing for all of us to know we're not alone in the way we do things. And there's really no shame in who we are and how our brains operate and how we move through this world. And I urge you to come join us in the Women in ADHD online community. Head over to womenandadhd.com or find the link in the show notes. Okay, this is episode 57, in which I interview Gloria Joy Sherrod. Gloria is a licensed professional counselor who works with children, adolescents, and adults. In addition to her counseling work, she also provides ADHD coaching services. Gloria is passionate about advocating for equity in education, access to care, and ending mental health stigma. We talk all about how to know whether it's ADHD or perhaps something else entirely as well as some of the stigmas around stimulant medications. And we also discuss her book, Adulting with ADHD, and her brand new documentary of the same name, which releases this week, and tells the real life stories of five adults navigating life with ADHD. You can find out more about the documentary at ADHDdocumentary.com, and I will put that link in the show notes as well. Also, I can't wait to share with you my experience with Magic Mind the world's first productivity drink. I'll get to that later in the episode. But first, I hope you enjoy my interview with Gloria. Why don't you tell me, I guess, how old were you when you were diagnosed and kind of what were some of the signs in your life that led to you receiving a diagnosis of ADHD? Um, I was diagnosed at 25 or 26 years old. Um, I tried to get diagnosed years prior. Um, I was actually on state insurance at the time. I was a student. I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I had a really poor primary care position. I'm going to be honest. Um, And so when I went, she was kind of like, you're not hyper. So no. Or she said, you're not hyper. And then she said, well, how did you make it to a master's program if you have ADHD? I was going to say, you have a reels about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was my first attempt at getting diagnosed. And so I was really struggling at the time because this was the first time in my life that there was no structure in terms of like, you need to be here from this time to this time. And like, so school was that way. Work was that way at the time. And everything was just, ah. Um, So yeah, that was my first time attempting to get diagnosed. I felt like everything was just kind of all over the place. I couldn't set my own structure. 
Um, and I had struggled my whole life, but I kind of made it by, but this was the time where I was like, yeah, I cannot even make it anymore. Okay. So that first time was when you were pursuing your master's. It was during school. Yes. Okay. And so then you graduated and, and when did you say no? When did you kind of decide you needed to revisit this? Um, so I graduated, um, and so the job that I had at that time did not go well. So I moved on um, to a nonprofit organization, which was wonderful um, because they were very flexible in terms of like, as long as you get your work done, it's okay. Um, and that was tough in some ways because it was still unstructured, but it required me to be very uh, creative and think outside of the box. So that was the one strength that I brought to the table that even if I wasn't doing a wonderful job, I still had this creative, like all these new ideas that I brought to the table in that environment. Um, so I thrived, but I still was struggling. So at that point, I finally had the resources to like get a real diagnosis. Um, I went to a psychologist and they did the whole assessment and they're like, you really, really have ADHD, like no question. Um, so that was such a relief to finally get help after that. And when was that? Um, I was around 26. Okay. So, the, but was this a few years ago? Like there was this, um, pre-pandemic? Yeah, it was pre-pandemic, probably, uh, three and a half, three years ago now. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to my husband the, the other day about like how working from home has kind of blown the lid off of the nine to five workday and how I think many people are realizing that they work in spurts, you know, and that, that you can be productive in bizarre timelines that so many of us with ADHD find ourselves in, right? Like why we had, why so many of us have difficulty with nine to five jobs. And I think I, I'm hoping that this new remote learning environment for so many people is going to shift the way in which um, people show up for their jobs, you know? Absolutely. And so when you look back at your childhood and growing up, what are some of the things where you think, oh my goodness, the signs were there all along? It's so funny because I think people assume that how, when they see me and how I am as an adult, they're like, you're not. I mean, my husband knows. <laughs> I talk at ears off all day, every day. Um, but on the outside, I think he's like, wow, you're so calm. I'm like, mm, it's chaos in here. As a child, the chaos was more on the outside than it is uh, now as an adult. Um, so I was the, you know, outdoor kid riding bikes, climbing trees, jumping off of stuff, like constantly. I couldn't take two steps without doing a flip. Um, and in school, school was always difficult in terms of like organizing my desk looked like a tornado. When I got a locker, it looked like a tornado, like couldn't even shut the door because it was just so chaotic in there. You know, every year they would give us the different notebooks of different colors for every subject. And I could never keep it straight. Like science notebook at the end of the year had every subject in it. Like it, I tried my hardest every year and I could never get it right. Um, I can never put the stuff in the right folders. Like school was chaos. Um, I got by because I, I think that I was intelligent. Um, but in terms of like keeping my life together, it just was not a thing. Um, and then there were certain subjects, the ones that I did not care that much about. Yeah, that was, um, it didn't go well. <laughs> it's the either an A plus or a D. That was what my report card looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's so funny because I'm like, how come nobody was like, this isn't right? You know, like I'm in 
the lower math class, like lower than standard, and then like AP English and, and social studies and stuff. And I'm like, how come nobody was like, that's interesting. Like something's off here. Yeah, I know. It's so interesting. I think so many women I've interviewed have had that same experience of like our public persona versus the internal persona, right? And for me, my therapist was diagnosed with ADHD because of her son was diagnosed. And so, you know, she came to her own ADHD through through realizing, you know, the genetic nature of, of where did he get all of this from? And, and so she was always suggesting to me that I had it for a long time because she would hear, like, I would talk about, you know, writing my book or doing all of these things and being like a very productive person, but also just the chaos, the chaos of my brain. And, and also just the, the uh, ridiculously low self-esteem that I had as a result of feeling like I procrastinated and was lazy all the time. And so she would see this, the disparity between what I was actually accomplishing versus how I felt about myself. And I've always, you know, been told that as well, like that idea of like, well, you're so, you know, you, you can't possibly have ADHD. You get all this stuff done. And also, feeling like, well, I can't possibly have ADHD because I'm not hyper. I think that's another one that so many of us talk about, right? Like, I think there's like that, that level of paralysis that we experience with so many mundane tasks, especially like domestic tasks, like that paralysis feels like the opposite of hyperactivity. It's, you know, it's been so interesting to explore how they actually really are, you know, quite close bedfellows (laughs) and they're not the opposite at all. Um, but why so many of us, I think, don't relate to the hyperactive element, especially as women. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say about, um, people finding out their kids have ADHD and then finding out they do, um, in the midst of my chaos, that was my story as well, is that when my daughter, uh, was having trouble in school and I was getting all the phone calls, it's interesting because, I guess the way I raised her was very much like, whoever you are, it's okay. Like I never tried to like suppress her being talkative or energetic or whatever. And so her presentation at school was very different than my presentation at school, because maybe the way that we were both raised, um, you know, I, for me, it was always like, you have to be a lady and you have to like calm down and you can't be doing all that. Um, so over time, like I was conditioned to mask, like how I really was, but my daughter, she went to school and was like, Hey guys, um and so yeah the phone calls always you know just about you know it wasn't bad behavior but like her not being able to sit down all day and follow the directions and remember the directions and um reading was hard and like I'd constantly been trying to teach her and it was just the element of she could not sit down long enough to like do do the thing um so yeah eventually for her we got treatment and her reading scores like tripled like within a month just from her being able to focus and it was wild to see. Amazing. I know, right? It's, it it breaks my heart that so many childhood diagnoses come from how disruptive they are in class when I think the more common experience is the internalized anxiety of wanting to be good and wanting to behave and and how that then manifests in our adulthood. Yes. So I think it might actually benefit a child to to not have to experience that in childhood you know to be free the way that you have raised her um even if it even if there was the sort of quote-unquote inconvenience of being disruptive now when you say treatment what kind of treatment did you follow as a as a mother and also as a professional 
For sure. Um, one of my, I guess this is too plays a part in my diagnosis is that I knew that I needed to provide a structure to her. So for me to provide structure to her, I needed to get structure for myself. Um, and so that was a huge part of it. And I'm really passionate about that when I help other, you know, children in my work is that making sure does mom and dad have ADHD and like, what do we do to help them help the child? Um, because that's huge. Cause we can tell the parents, you know, do this, do that. Like if they have ADHD too, that's going to be a hurdle. They need the same help. So there's that and medication as well for her. And it wasn't something that was long-term. Like when she got reading down, she was kind of caught up and we were fine and we could do the behavioral interventions. I'm so newly diagnosed. So I, you know, I'm going through this journey with my children, um, both of whom I feel like probably also have it. Uh, but again, like neither of them has been terribly disruptive at school. Right. And, and my son especially does not have a lot of the stereotypical son you know, boy um, elements of, of ADHD. He's not really a hyperactive. I mean, he needs to run around a lot and we definitely run him around. Um, but in class, he sort of exhibits more of the um, distractibility and the anxiety that comes from wanting to be well-behaved all the time and, and having a hard time paying attention to what's happening and then losing his losing track of what's going on in the classroom and then feeling really terrible and freaking out and then spiraling. And so all of that stuff that I certainly relate to, uh, but is not necessarily something that a teacher might notice and pull him out of class for, you know? And so I'm like, again, I'm like, I, looking at everything through this, with this fine tooth comb, trying to figure out like, you know, what do we, what's the next step? Do, how quickly do we get him diagnosed? Because I know that without the stereotypical child um, uh, behaviors, we might come up, you know, it, it really depends on how well-researched the professional is that you're dealing with. And, um, you know, I don't want to just go through the school district or anything like that. Um, so it's been interesting for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. It's really difficult um, when there's not that visual, like, okay, I can see that this is what's going on with this child. And if there isn't that, I think there's a lot of assumptions made about behavior and outcomes. It's like, oh, that child is struggling with this. That must mean that instead of like being curious about what it could really be. And I think that's why a lot of uh, children fall through the cracks because there's a lack of curiosity about what is being observed and instead it's easier to just make an assumption about like oh you know must be this or you know must be something going on at home or they're not structured and that very well could be the case and especially I think it's a huge chicken before the egg issue with us as professionals because you see a child going through things at home and sometimes you might assume okay that's the reason why uh xyz is taking place um, but then like when you dig further, it's like something could be going on at home and it's impairing this child's ability to learn. But then is that stuff going on at home because the parent is having difficulty with their own mental health? And is that genetic component of that impacting the child on top of the fact that there are things going on at home? So there's so much to sift through um, from a teacher perspective and, a, um, you know, therapist perspective when we're looking at kids and what might be going on. I know. I know. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like, I mean, I certainly had childhood trauma. I feel like childhood trauma comes up with a lot of my guests. The, the topic of trauma is often discussed because I think as we try to parse like 
what even is ADHD, right? Is ADHD just a list of symptoms that we exhibit because of something that has happened to us in our life? Or are these symptoms present in our life because we've lived a life undiagnosed as a neurodivergent, right? <laughs> and, and it really is like a chicken or egg thing. Like it's there, it just feels like I, the more I learn about ADHD, the less I feel I know about <laughs> ADHD. Because again, like I think central to this journey has been the constant questioning, is this even ADHD? Is this, you know, or this, this tendency to want to minimize our symptoms or that questioning of like, how much am I struggling? Because I think a lot of the times when people try to talk about ADHD, especially as professionals, they talk about like, how much is this impacting your life, right? And so then you have to turn inward and question, how much am I struggling? And then if I'm not struggling, if I am building structures, if I'm finding ways to live with and lean into my strengths and I'm no longer feeling like I'm struggling, does this mean I've cured, quote unquote, my ADHD, right? And so I think it's like even getting down to the definition of what even is this, I think we could spend a lifetime talking about that. I mean, oftentimes I feel like you know, the reason why so many of us have been diagnosed since the pandemic is, is the fact that all of our structures and routines were thrown up in the air. But sometimes I also think like we're living through this collective trauma of this pandemic. We're living through the collective trauma of living in a post-Trump America with like no social structure, you know, no, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like there's no, you know, uh, structures for motherhood. There's no structures for unemployment. There's no, like, there's no equity. Like it's, you know, part of it feels like so many of these symptoms that we are exhibiting might just be from the trauma of living in this modern society. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point, but I do feel like, like at the end of the day, I feel like the incessant questioning and the incessant, uh, you know, obsessive desire to figure out what even is this and the, then the subsequent like minimizing of our own symptoms, like all of that feels like that is ADHD as well, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like we have lived our lives so feeling so wrong, right. And feeling so misunderstood that part of our diagnosis and journey and uh, our self-identity is the minimizing and the questioning and the, am I even struggling or am I just really a lazy piece of crap? <laughs> yes. All of that. Absolutely. <laughs> I hear it all the time on my platform and I'm like, I have felt that way so many times I get it. Um, like questioning, is this ADHD or like, am I just trying to find an excuse not to do X, Y, Z? And then, you know, I'm finally at the point now where I'm like, this is absolutely ADHD and I definitely need help. And the days that I don't take my medication, I'm like, Oh yes, that's uh, that's what that feels like. That's ADHD. Um, so for sure. When it comes to maintaining my focus and energy throughout the day, my drug of choice has always been copious amounts of caffeine. But when I get over caffeinated, I get a jittery, agitated feeling that can interfere with my ability to focus and be productive. That's why I was excited to try Magic Mind, which unlike regular energy drinks, contains minimal caffeine, but still helps you keep that focus and motivation throughout the day. Magic Mind contains all natural ingredients like the adaptogens ashwagandha and turmeric, nootropics and matcha, and it tastes really good. It was created by James Bashara, a Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur who actually ended up in the ER with a heart condition brought on by the combination of stress and caffeine. So he started researching natural 
alternatives and teamed up with scientists and medical professionals. And after all of this research, created the Magic Mind drink. It's a great little shot of energy that keeps me focused throughout the day without any of that jittery, anxious feeling I get from too much coffee. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you can get 20% off of your order. Simply head over to magicmind.co slash women ADHD and make sure to enter the code women ADHD 20 at checkout. Again, that's magicmind.co slash women ADHD or simply click the link in the episode show notes and enter the code women ADHD 20 for 20% off your order. This back and forth between feeling like you mean everybody doesn't feel this way all the time, and then also feeling like, oh my goodness, there are so many women who need to figure out what is going on who are just being told that they're depressed or anxious and have no idea um, that this neurodivergency exists, you know? And and I go back and forth all the time between that, you know, that 10% of the population number that gets thrown around a lot with ADHD, where I'm like, no way, it's got to be so many more, <laughs> so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also feeling like, well, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of women don't actually struggle in the way that we uniquely struggle. Um, and and I think we've just part of our minimizing or our self-doubt is to believe that everybody feels this way and that there's something wrong with us that we can't get over, you know, like in motherhood, like when I, when I had newborns, right. I was just always like, Oh, you need to lower your expectations. You're just sleep deprived or you just need help. You know, like there's always this feeling of, um, there was something I was doing wrong. I think that's another belief that we tend to have a lot, which is, that it's not that we need accommodations or that the system is is not serving us that we are we are somehow the failures in the situation yes absolutely that is so true um we could come up with a trillion reasons why we're dealing with what we're dealing with other than adhd um and then i think it is um i guess i call it internalized ableism is like society's always telling us like, oh, that's not what it is. Or, you know, everybody deals with that or, you know, all the, you know, saying that we're making excuses and that it's actually these things. Um, And I really had to work to start believing myself. My own therapist, she always would say like, uh, whose voice is that? Is that yours or is that someone else's? And like, after I got that, I was like, okay, yes, that's somebody else's. And I know what I'm dealing with. And I had to really come to terms with the fact that this is what it is for me, whatever, you know, whatever other people think it is, that's their problem, not mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a great way of putting it. And I think, you know, I, I, I go back to this all the time. This so much of the quote unquote treatment of ADHD for me is just realizing what it is and, and how to, change that narrative and to change your perspective on what it is you need and what it is you're good at and all of these things that it really like so much of the change is in how we view ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think long, you know, I think often people are afraid to start looking into their ADHD until they get a formal diagnosis. And while I think a formal diagnosis is important, obviously I think, you know, so much of the the way in which we learn about ourselves can start the minute you start watching TikTok videos and you're like, wow, these are really relatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I know, I, I know I, was it, 
I think it was a post of yours or was it a real where you were like, a meme is not a diagnosis. And <laughs> yes. Which um, I totally, I mean, I, I see so many of us have come to our diagnosis through relatable memes. Right. And so uh, it's, again, it's like, I think it's a, it's an important part of our journey of that self-realization. Um, but I also feel like, uh, like, I don't think you, you should wait until you get a formal diagnosis before you start looking into and, 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 um, coming up with your own accommodations that might may or may not work for you. And, but, um, I think, uh, the, the diagnosis can be so important in terms of the validation that we inherently require in terms of our identity as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's so interesting how I've evolved in terms of like my opinion about diagnosis and how important it is at this point. I'm like, you know, if you need accommodations at school or work, definitely a formal diagnosis is necessary or medication diagnosis is necessary. And for some of us more than others, having that, um, psycho psychological evaluation is important because otherwise we would not be believed. Um, and that was my thing. Like the doctor just looking at me was never going to be like, yeah, you know, I see it. So I really had to like go through that whole process for myself to get like, you know, all the other uh, accommodations and the medication and all that for myself. So I always say like, if you're looking for medication, if you're looking for accommodations, like formal diagnosis is wonderful. And then too, if you feel like the validation would be helpful, uh, diagnosis is also wonderful. Otherwise, like, if your life is working for you, if your career is working for you in a way that you don't even need those things, then that's, that's wonderful. Um, and it, it's funny when I added that means are not a, a diagnostic tool. It was very much more of a, uh, not a liability thing, sort of an ethical thing for me as a therapist of like, okay, I'm putting all this content out here and other professionals are, you know, within the field complaining that like, oh, people are are diagnosing themselves off the internet. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy like in the room that is being looked at as part of this problem. And in my own opinion, it is people who are truly realizing that they do have ADHD um, and they just didn't have any other way to find that out other than the internet. Um, but within the field, there's a whole different perspective on what that is. I know. And, and I get it. Like, I totally get why it feels irresponsible to self-diagnose and why, you know, doctors hate Googling, you know, for symptoms, but it feels different in terms of ADHD. I mean, ADHD is not a disease, right? So you're not like treating it with um, horse hormones or whatever people are using nowadays (laughs) instead of a vaccine, but like, you know, you know, you're not looking up ways to dangerous. I mean, maybe there are, um, dangerous ways in which you could treat it, but I think for the most part, so much of our, the way in which we, we manage our ADHD is through behavioral changes. And so it does feel like, yeah, you could avoid a lot of trouble and cost (laughs) of, of at least hitting the ground running. Right. I mean, when people ask me all the time, you know, I'm worried when I go to my doctor, like, how am I going to deal with this? And so many women have said, you know, they went to their doctor and they felt disappointed because they were rushed and they were told, no, you don't have it. It's probably just depression or probably just anxiety, which also drives me crazy because if you're not willing to look at where the source of the depression and anxiety, then, um, then you need definitely need a second opinion. But 
you know, I think I always tell them, bring the checklist, like do an online checklist, bring the checklist because you'll have points in front of you to, to be able to explain what is happening. I think we can get very tongue tied when we're in a doctor's, situ- doctor's office in a situation where, you know, you can feel like you're, you know, not, not articulating very well your, your lived experience. And I think those checklists can be really, really helpful. But even when I got my diagnosis, like I didn't leave the doctor's office. I said, you have to tell me out loud, I have ADHD and what my diagnosis is. Because if you don't officially tell me out loud, because I don't know, I was expecting to get like a certificate or something and I didn't get one. And so I was like, if you don't say it out loud to me, what type I have and my diagnosis, I will forever wonder if I misread this appointment, right? Like that's how much, that's how low my self-trust is when it comes to this. And I think so many of us experience that. Um, And so, yeah, like I do feel like it is really important to get a medical provider's uh, or medical diagnosis, but it also feels like it's very different in terms of um, the danger that it might uh, present. Like I I often question like what is the danger in mis- believing you have ADHD, like what you're going to exercise in the morning, or you're going to create structures for yourself, or you, maybe you'll like eat better. Like, you know, the ways in which we make adjustments. I mean, um, I, I think it's, uh, like, anyway, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I just got, I got tripped up because I was thinking about like the abuse of, of, um, stimulants. And again, I think that's another really complicated issue because I'm like, are are college students abusing stimulants or are they using them and they just haven't gotten them through the correct methods? Like, you know, that's obviously my unprofessional (laughs) opinion um, in in terms of the way in which stimulants have become so difficult to get and so expensive and are controlled substance and all of these ways in which they've been over-regulated and antidepressants are thrown around like candy. (laughs) Right. Like, oh, you might not be depressed, but let's try uh, antidepressant. But when it comes to stimulants, like we have to be sure, like know your whole life. Um, This is something I was just talking about. So I'm in a doctoral program now. So we're having constant dialogue about this. Um, And one of my professors was saying that like, there is this, um, what is it? Uh, Gatekeeping of stimulants. um, And it's really unwarranted based on, I've done, so I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not an MD, but I've done training on um, ADHD medication as part of my ADHD training. And one of the things that Russell Barkley was saying was that ADHD medication is one of the safest medications out there in terms of it's one of the most well-researched. It's been researched for 80 years in kids and adults. Um, And it's not as scary and dangerous as they try to make it seem in terms of like, if you give it to someone and let's say they don't have ADHD, like it's not as much of the end of the world as they try to make it seem at this point point in time in comparison to like you're saying like they give all kinds of other medications when they're not always a thousand percent sure um so it's interesting where we are with that in the medical well and not only that but i think so many of us have a history of self-medicating uh (laughs) and so we tend to have a history of substance abuse in some regard right and we have an all you know we have kind of addictive personalities naturally and so i think a lot of a lot of um people are 
fear, you know, are afraid of taking medication, you know, feeling like they might become addicted to it because it's a controlled substance, right? It has this stigma that it is going to be an addictive you know, medication, which feels like it's the exact opposite. Uh, it's about as addictive as Advil, but it, again, I'm not a medical professional, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just saying that off the cuff. But I think that, you know, I have seen that a lot on in like Facebook groups, women who are terrified to, to try medication because they have a history of substance abuse. And I think that that stigma and that attitude is being perpetuated by some medical professionals too, which is like, let, you know, maybe this isn't the route for you because of your history. And you're like, are you not putting all these puzzle pieces together? The lack of dopamine is causing <laughs> these other addictions. So if you give the regulation tool, the medication that actually offsets, and they say that, uh, well, studies and research shows that when a teen is taking stimulant medication for ADHD, they're much less likely to develop addiction to other substances because they have the regulated dopamine in the brain, so they don't need to do that other stuff. Right. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, so much of this is really kind of looking at the source as opposed to, I think, you know, that tendency to just treat the symptom, just treat the symptom without looking at the source. And so that's why I'm so grateful for therapy and coaching and so many of the, you know, other ways in which we come at this diagnosis, um, not, uh, not the disorder part of it, but the kind of neurodivergent brain and, and, you know, all of that interesting stuff that I think we just inherently like to, to research, you know, who we are and why we are the way we are and how our brain works and all of that stuff. I think so much of that helps us in, in understanding the ADHD. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide, so you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So, so I wanted to ask you about your book too. How long ago did you write it and kind of what prompted it? And it looks fantastic. Um, and I love that you have an audio version of it because I purely listen to all of my books. So it's great. <laughs> um, so let's see, how long has it been? It's been, did it, it came out in the beginning of the pandemic. I'm like trying to remember when that even was at this point. Um, so I didn't get to have a launch because that was just when the pandemic was starting in spring. When the pandemic started, was that 2020? 2020. Yeah, yes. I know. So I started it when I was in my master's program, actually. So this is pre-diagnosis. I wrote that book, which is wild. Like the way that the whole thing unfolded is like, what is life? So, so wait, were you researching ADHD before you were diagnosed? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I had that like, you know, back of the mind knowing, but I hadn't had the formal diagnosis. And I think 
before writing the book, I had tried to get diagnosed and then, and then that's when it kind of fell through. So I didn't have a formal diagnosis, but I had an inkling. Um, and so I had actually a bunch of ideas for books. I was not yet like this ADHD professional like thing yet. Um, and so I'm like, okay, am I going to write about depression or anxiety or like whatever? So I met with an author coach um, who I was like, okay, I have all these ideas. Which one do you think? And she's like, oh, you know, she told me that about her daughter who had ADHD and who had been told, but she knew nothing about, you know, anything in terms of ADHD and how to manage it and what this meant and like what behavior was ADHD and what was not. And I was like, you know, it's really sad that the doctors can just give you a diagnosis and not tell you a single thing about what's really going on here. Um, and so that frustration and that passion and that uh, ADHD like fire was like, yeah, I'm writing about that. Um, and so in the midst of that, I'm working in a university counseling center and I'm working with, I'm seeing him diagnose ADHD in that setting. So um, I ended up doing my final master's um, project on ADHD. And so I've got all this research, I've got all this stuff. So I start writing, um, then I got bored and I stopped writing. And then like seeing ADHD around me once again in the way that it wasn't being addressed, especially in adults, like relit my fire and I finished writing it with the help of an author coach for sure. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. She like planned out the whole process for me, checked in on me, like let me know that how important it was. You know, we, you know, with ADHD, you need to know why you're doing something or it doesn't feel like worth it. So that was so helpful. So, um, yeah, it came out, uh, right in the beginning of the pandemic and I never would have guessed that it would become like my entire career, but I'm like so grateful for the way it all happened. Yeah. I will. I think advocacy is a big part of our diagnosis as well. Uh, certainly with me and the, this podcast kind of on, I mean, the podcast was started mostly for selfish reasons. Cause I just wanted to hear other people's stories. Um, but when I think about how it's been helping so many women, it makes sense to me. Like, I just feel like it is so important for women to realize that this is a possibility because so I'm, I'm like, if I could help one woman who has felt like, her diagnosis of depression and anxiety, which I have been, you know, which was what I was treating for 20 years since university, never feeling like they, the meds were working, never feeling like anything was working and always feeling like, well, if it's this bad with the meds, it probably would be worse without them. So let's up the dose or let's add more, you know? And um, anyway, so just feeling like I think so much of this is really like, how can we disseminate this information and, and help women to understand who might've been struggling the way I struggled to understand that there's like a, a name for this and, and a source and um, that they're not crazy or whatever the book is, you know, you're not crazy, lazy and All stupid. That. that was one of the first books I read about ADHD. Cause it's a brilliant title. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> it really, I know it just like sums up so much of our experience for so many of us. You know, it's funny when I wrote my book, many people have asked me as well, like, how were you able to write a book if you have ADHD? And I laugh because I, it's, 
it's such an interesting process for so many of us. Like for me, I joined like a book writing contest because I knew that that would motivate me. And so it was a course where they taught you how to do your outlines. And again, it was like your hand was held throughout the whole process, but then like they had a contest, which was like, you know, anyone who can finish by this deadline, we will give the top 10 books your tuition back. (laughs) And I was like, that's my motivation. And so I, you know, wrote it by the deadline and I had the motivation to win and I, and I got in the top 10. So I got my tuition back, but I'm like, I I don't know if I could ever replicate that. (laughs) If I ever wanted to write another book, I would definitely have to, you know, be in a very, very structured environment like that. So, um, so that's awesome. So it's called adulting with ADHD and then it came out and you kind of pivoted your social media at that time and you blew up. (laughs) Yes. So wild. I still can't believe it. I'm like, this is like, I'm, I'm very, so I'm not detail oriented at all. You know, I details fall through all the time, but in terms of like planning the big stuff in my life, I've always been pretty, I wouldn't say good that life never goes as planned regardless, but I'm very like into planning the big stuff. So I had my whole career like set up in my head that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And where I'm at now is wonderful, amazing, love it, wouldn't take it back, but it is not, it was not part of the plan. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I love it. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel like my CV, when you look at it over the course of my last 20 years, it's just like hard left, hard left, hard right. (laughs) It's just constantly changing and reinventing. And it's great. I love it. It's, it's one of the things I love about having ADHD, right? You know, I think we have this tendency to feel like, oh, we're not consistent and we're not sticking to the same thing. And I think we put too much value in, in, reliability and consistency when there's as much value, um, in switching things up constantly. For sure. It's the way that I grew up is interesting because both my whole family is all entrepreneurs. Nobody went to school. Nobody did any of that. Um, all very successful people who did not go to college. And so I was raised seeing my dad do this and do that and do this and do that, like all the things. He's not diagnosed or anything, so I won't call him out, but we can just imply here. Um, And so I grew up thinking like, I could do this and that and this and that, and that's fine and that's life. And so even though I did ask about ADHD as a child, even before I tried to get diagnosed as an adult, and they were not into the mental health thing yet, they are very accepting now. the thing that I appreciate about the way that I was raised is that like, they were very big on your value is not in your education and your grades and like how good you are at doing this or that, but your value is in like what your talents are and like what you're good at and what your passions are. And so I feel like a huge part of the success that I did end up having, even though my self-esteem still wasn't the greatest was the fact that I felt like it was okay to be that way. And I find a lot of people don't feel like it's okay to be out of the box and like be who they are and do all the things. And that makes it difficult. And so I would say in working with parents, it's really huge for me to like elaborate on the fact that like whatever they're good at, whatever their passions are, like that's what you should be going for. Not like this cookie cutter, this is what you should do kind of attitude. I love that. So, so how, uh, what was their reaction when you told them about your diagnosis? Cause I feel like when I found out I was going through every member of my family being like, yep, yep. Yes. You. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what are, what are their thoughts and, and 
do you have any sibling? Like, was anyone else in your family diagnosed? My sister was diagnosed first. Oh, okay. Um, her symptoms was were very much more apparent than mine um, in terms of like being able to hold it together academically and all, the whole thing. Um, she's very much an artist and super creative and like brilliant in terms of like, she can make anything look good. Um, I don't have that <laughs> unfortunately. And, you know, I have my own strengths, but they were very much like, we know she does, but we're not sure about you. Um, and so it was interesting because it was really just based on the fact that they didn't know what it meant, you know, to have ADHD and all the ins and outs and all of that. So over time, the more work that I did around it and the more education I just provided to the public and they just saw it, they were like, okay, yeah, that is you. And it's funny because I think part of it too is like, they, they operate in that mindset themselves in a way. So like when they raised us, they were like, you're just kid, like this is normal. Uh, and so I think they really just didn't see how we really were in comparison to other children. Um, because if I see anybody else from outside of my family and I ask them about how I was as a child, they're like, you were so extra, like you were doing the most. <laughs> But I think my parents just like had no concept of like, oh, this is not how kids act all the time. So it's funny. Right. Yeah. And I think so many, so many of us, as we go into adulthood, our experience with our ADHD really comes down to what accommodations we had as children or, or what environments were we in, um, in children, or like you were saying with our family and our parents and like our home life, like so much of that, so much of our environment, um, uh, influences how we, the, um, symptoms, I, I, I hate using that word, but like how our ADHD, uh, manifests in our life as adulthood has so much to do with the environment in which we were raised. And so again, that's when I go back to questioning where I'm like, well, what is ADHD? Is ADHD this sort of fundamental neurodivergence that we're born with, or is the ADHD, the list of traits that we exhibit as a result of the struggle that we have faced because of the neurodivergence or is it all, is it everything in the whole basket? I don't know. All of it. (laughs) I would say all of it. It's yeah. Because when I look at my upbringing, my childhood, when people say, Oh, it's trauma. Like I did have some trauma probably as a result of my ADHD. Like you're saying in my teen years, like I was again, like doing the most like impulsive making decisions. Like what are we doing? Um, but as a child, like I had a very like cookie cutter childhood, like both parents, like pretty successful, like nothing major mom stayed home. So in terms of like how my childhood was very normal, like I was outside playing with friends, like that was, that was my life. So when I spoke to professionals, they were, they did have a question of like, is this trauma? And I'm like, the trauma happened after the symptoms. Trust me, my desk was messy since first grade. Trauma happened at like 17. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting. I know. Yeah, that I often have that um, train of thought when I when I start to dismiss my ADHD as like, well, maybe I'm just a frazzled mom, or maybe I'm just a feminist living in this society. <laughs> you know, and then I my my next thought is always to go back and be like, yes, but don't forget about middle school (laughs) and don't forget about your grades and yeah, your locker and all of those things and how, you know, how it looks over the whole course of your life. Yeah. Yep. 
I want to take a minute to let you know about the new Women and ADHD online community. One thing I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is, wow, these interviews make me feel so much less alone. And I totally agree. I believe finding our people and sharing our lived experiences is such an integral part of successfully managing our ADHD. So I've put together this online community for listeners of the podcast where we can come together in a safe, intimate environment and make friends and obsessively ponder our neurodivergent brains with other brilliant like-minded women. And we never have to apologize for simply being ourselves. With your membership, you also have access to all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, written transcripts of the episodes, and a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom. You also have the option to upgrade at any time in order to participate in regular body doubling sessions and live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we discuss life with our ADHD brains. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join us or find the link in the show notes. All right. I hope to see you there soon. So now what would you say you love most about your ADHD? I love how unafraid I am to like just take leaps. Um, my husband is so very neurotypical (laughs) and he's always looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, you can't do that. Uh, you know, like quitting my nine to five and like starting a business. He's like, what are we going to do? And after it started to go well, he's like, okay, that's, that's not bad. And so like all the ideas I have and just being unafraid to like go for it. I love, I love it. Wouldn't trade it. You work with parents and you work with teachers too, which I think is amazing. Um, And then also individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And do you also work with children or families? Yeah. So mostly, most of my parent coaching is like working with the parents and helping them provide structure. And then some working with children on like self-esteem and feeling good about themselves and all that emotional regulation, you name it. So I do work with children, but most of my work with children is really with parents. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Um, That's awesome. And now a question I like to ask all of my guests, um, if you could rename ADHD to something a little less confusing or problematic, especially for adult women, um, would you call it something else? Yes. I'm, I'm, hmm. I guess the thought, the initial thought still doesn't sound super clear, but like, and I feel like this is a thing already, like, um, this isn't creative enough, selective attention, um, this, no, it's not dysregulation. I feel like my brain, it just does the stuff that it's interested in and wants to do and all the other stuff, it doesn't waste its time doing it. It's efficient. Um, so if you were putting it in a positive light, like, brain efficiency (laughs) disorder condition. I don't know where we're in the works. I like the brain efficiency, um, variable attention. Oh no. What did you say? You you didn't say variable attention. You said selective, selective attention. Yeah. I like that. That's base. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So now I know you are on 
Instagram. I love your reels. I think you have a real talent for that. Something I, I make reels in my head all day long, but I don't actually publish them. So I love that. <laughs> I love whenever anybody actually gets to it. Uh, but where, when people uh, want to work with you or find your book or work, where, where can people find you to work with you? So my website is gloriajoysherrod.com and Sherrod, S-H-E-R-R-O-D. Um, and so you can book a free 30-minute consultation for coaching there on my website. Um, the link to my book is on there as well. It's also on Amazon, Audible, iTunes. And I'm also coming out with a documentary for adults with ADHD, which tells my whole story and all that and the story of others as well. That will be, if you join my newsletter on my website, you'll get updates about that. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. You buried the lead. Okay. So, tell me more about this documentary. Yeah. So, um, it's the stories of, I'm trying to think of how many other, four other people and myself um, in our ADHD journeys and kind of how it impacts our lives and in the good ways and the negative ways. That's great. And now, did you produce it or... Or were you approached to be part of it or you 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 started the project? I did. It was a wild idea that I had a year ago now, exactly a year ago. So we filmed during COVID. Yeah, I thought for a while, it was one of those ADHD ideas. And I was like, you are wild for doing this. Like, why would you even think that you can make a documentary? Um, but I did. And I'm so excited. I feel like a lot of the stories that I see on my Instagram um, are really going to resonate, um, with the documentary. Yeah, there really isn't anything out there. I mean, we're such visual learners, right? And so it makes perfect sense. And I think so much of our, so much of learning about ourselves and this diagnosis is, is sharing our lived experience. You know, it's not about reading the DSM. It's not about reading how to articles, right? This is like, Oh my goodness, this is not just me and I'm not alone. And, and, you know, feeling like you're seen by other people. So that's amazing. And so it's going to be out during, um, ADHD awareness month too, right? Yes. Yep. So I'm hoping that it'll be on multiple streaming platforms and we'll have more information on that to come on the website. Um, so yeah, I'm pumped. I'm so excited about that. And I really just want the general public doctors, teachers, counselors, people with ADHD to like get a picture of what it truly looks like in people's everyday lives so that they can get an understanding beyond the very confusing name as we just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love it. I love what you are doing to, you know, as a professional, but also just as your own personal experience to help kind of advance that conversation and really put a face to what this looks like for so many of us. And, and that, yes, you can actually be quite accomplished <laughs> and seemingly, um, or not even seemingly, you can be quite an accomplished person and still have ADHD. So yeah, so I love I love what you're doing to end that stigma and misinformation. So thank you. And thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I really enjoyed this. Me too. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, 
then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.